Welcome to the latest edition of Mishkondorea's Property Litigation Watch podcast. I'm Laura Odland, a partner in the firm's Property Litigation Group, and I'm delighted to be talking today to Laura Tweedy from Gatehouse Chambers. We're going to talk about the proposed reforms to the private rented sector. Laura is a barrister who specialises in this area and she's at the forefront in training on the changes set out in the Renters Reform Bill. Laura, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our listeners may be aware that there has been a lot of uncertainty and media interest in the bill and the headline proposal to end no-fault evictions. The bill did make its way into the King's speech, but the government has suggested that implementation of the key provisions would not take place before much-needed reforms to the court system. We don't have much detail at the moment on what those court reforms would be or when they would happen. Despite the lack of clarity as to when the bill will come into force, given the political pressure, it's likely that this legislation will be introduced at some point. So, Laura, let's start by explaining the background to the bill. Sure. First abolishing Section 21 was floated back in 2019. And in June 2022, we had proposals for renters reform in a white paper. Um, The government said it's important to address a perceived imbalance between private landlords and tenants. To give an example as to that, between March 22 and March 23, the number of bailiff evictions based on Section 21 in private homes doubled. And it feels to me like the government's trying to get a system where people stay in their rented homes for longer as opposed to necessarily buying. Since the bill has been introduced, there have also been two readings um, and the bill is now in the committee stage. We also had a really useful government response in October 2023. And to be clear, the provisions of this bill apply only to assured shorthold tenancies. So for listeners, it's worth remembering that lettings to companies and tenancies where the rent is over £100,000 per annum, they will not be subject to these proposed changes. What we'll focus on in this podcast are the key changes for landlords and tenants proposed by the bill. We'll also touch on what's missing, the timings for implementation, and we'll try and give some practical tips. So, Laura, let's start with the biggest sort of headline change, which is the proposal to end fixed term tenancies and the abolition of the so-called no-fault procedure for recovering possession on short-term lets. So, is this the end of no-fault evictions? Well, that's the headline, but in my view, no, it's not really the end of no-fault evictions because they will remain grounds on which the tenants will not be at fault, but a landlord is still able to get the property back, such as selling it or a family moving in. But the difference here is we are used to six months fixed terms and serving Section 21 notices to evict tenants, but both of these things are going to be gone. And instead, we'll have periodic tenancies, probably for a week or a month, that will roll on forever, where a tenant can serve a notice at any point. So if the Section 21 route to possession is no longer available, can we explain to listeners how landlords can recover possession? Of course, most people currently use and know this Section 21, but there is also this other thing, a Section 8 notice that's currently available as well as Section 21, and that will remain available in the future. 
it's not that landlords aren't going to be able to recover possession. It's that they will need to give a reason for recovering possession. And can you talk us through some of those reasons? Yes, let's consider some different groups of landlords. So, for example, the developer landlord, I know you may have developers listening. Ground six is a major change to that ground. Under the Section 8 notice, we have the ground six redevelopment. The major change is that the current requirement is that the landlord has to be the landlord before the tenancy commenced. So that means a developer couldn't come in, purchase a property, and then try and evict the tenant in the property. Whereas that's going to change. And the landlord will no longer need to be the landlord before the tenancy commences, which is quite major for developers. So they can take sitting tenants and develop, and it's going to be a mandatory ground. The other option for a developer would be this new ground 1A under Section 8, Um, And that's where the landlord wants to sell the property. Can't be used in the first six months of the tenancy. Notice will need to be given. But again, it's mandatory. So there will be certain grounds available for certain different types of clients. And when we say a mandatory ground, Laura, what we're meaning there is basically a ground on which the court can't refuse to give possession, provided that ground has been satisfied. Yes, it means the court doesn't have discretion over whether they can make the possession order or not. How long it takes and how the court deal with it is slightly not as quite as accurate as saying it's totally mandatory. For example, it often doesn't happen on the first hearing. But yes, when it comes to the to the crunch, it comes to the moment which the judge must decide whether or not to order possession, whether that be at the beginning or at the end of a trial, the judge will only have the option to make a mandatory order or no order. Whereas some grounds for possession have a discretionary element and the judge will decide if the judge wants to order possession based on certain criteria. In relation to that criteria, the government in the 20th of October response have said that they want to legislate for what will be considered to be reasonable or more likely what the court will be required to take into account. We already have some of that in current legislation and it'll be interesting to see what the government want the court to be considering on those grounds. Okay, so we've touched on a developer landlord. What about the private individual who lets out a property um, and they decide that they want to move back into that property or they might need it for another member of their family? Will they have the ability to do that? Yes, we've got ground one, family can move back in. Again, a mandatory ground, occupation by an extended, expanded definition of family. Again, it can't be used in the first six months of a tenancy. But as long as the family landlord gives two months notice, then they can get the property back. This is likely to be a popular ground. And so then some might say that actually the changes don't present any real difficulty for landlords because they still have the ability to recover possession in the circumstances we've just talked about. And also in circumstances where the tenant isn't paying their rent or might be breaching the terms of their tenancy. Yes, It's arguable whether or not this will pose problems for landlords. But in the vast majority of cases, we aren't actually getting to court to get tenants out. We are in a position where tenants do usually leave after a certain point after the service of the notice. So we have to remember what we're talking about isn't sort of every single time you want a landlord wants to take possession back. 
but a landlord will need to give a reason to satisfy one of the grounds. It's not the same as Section 21. The landlord just chooses. The landlord can't just choose for whatever reason the landlord decides going forward. They will have to fit into a criteria. And that's quite different. In my, my experience, looking at one of the main issues, for example, rent arrears, that's usually why a landlord will want to take possession back. We still have ground eight, which those who use Section 21 may also be familiar with ground eight. That's a mandatory ground. The amount of notice is going to increase to four weeks instead of two. And there are some changes to that ground. So the court doesn't evict when there are issues with universal credit. But in my experience, the court doesn't usually do that anyway. So landlords still have ground eight on rent. They also are going to have a new ground eight A, also mandatory. And that is going to be an interesting new ground where if the tenant three times within a three year period is in two months of arrears, then that's going to be a mandatory ground for possession. So this is going to be quite wide reaching and particularly helpful to landlords who are persistent late payers. So I think of it as sort of a line. And if the tenant dips below the line three times in the three years, then it's another ground for possession. And my understanding is that it can just be that for one day in that period, it dips below the line. That's my understanding too. And we also have still got grounds 10 and 11, which are discretionary grounds. So the court needs to consider whether it finds it reasonable or not to order possession. But there are lots of different ways that landlords will be able to seek possession where tenants are in arrears. I've also been thinking about antisocial behaviour. And there are still going to be grounds under which landlords can seek possession where their tenants are causing problems. That's a sort of another hot area that I see where you've got a convicted criminal or convicted offence. Ground 7A will still apply. And that's currently a four week notice period for a landlord. But that's going to be reduced to be immediate, which will be very helpful. And we're still going to have grounds 12 and 14, which are discretionary grounds with some slight changes to those grounds, but nothing so major that it's going to be problematic to landlords. So having looked at the possible grounds for possession for landlords, coming on to looking at other categories of tenants, what about students? Because there's been some suggestion that um, we might see some amendments to the bill because in the case of students the absence of a fixed end date for the tenancy could provide a real issue. It was looking difficult for those in the student sector before the 20th of October government response to the committee because in that response for the first time the government acknowledges the problem with students and actually says that it's going to give a ground for possession for students particularly which is a huge change on where the bill was currently at. And this will be of great benefit to those working in the student sector. Of course, this is only applying to private student accommodation, not those in purpose-built accommodation and government-approved codes. And we spent a lot of time talking about landlords' ability to end the tenancy, but there are also changes to how a tenant goes about ending their tenancy. Absolutely. If this bill comes into force, we're going to have tenants being able to serve notice at any point, i.e. from the beginning of the tenancy, and that notice will need to be two months. I mean, most tenants want to stay in their properties for longer periods and don't want to hop between properties. But 
it is quite a big change. And I know there is lobbying going on to have a period where tenants aren't able to serve their notice. And talking of protections for tenants, under the current Section 21 process for getting possession of your property, landlords need to show that they have complied with various statutory requirements in relation to deposits. But the bill does provide that those requirements will be transferred across effectively to the Section 8 possession process. Correct. So currently, it doesn't apply to Section 8. And so if there's been a problem with a deposit, we don't use Section 21, we'd use a Section 8. But going forward, it is going to apply to Section 8 notices. However, for antisocial behaviour, that will be excluded. So the landlord to get possession won't have to show the compliance. In addition, the deposit requirements in order to get possession seem to be watered down compared to the current requirements under Section 21. It seems to be the case that as long as the deposit is being protected in advance of the hearing, the judge will be able to order possession. There isn't any mention of gas safety and how to rent, which those in the sector may be familiar with, need to be proven to get possession on Section 21. But watch this space to see if they're going to be included in the landlord database. And we'll come on to the database in a minute, actually. But one of the other things that I think landlords and tenants are going to be interested in are the changes for dealing with the way in which the rent can be increased. Now, can you give us a bit of a summary of the proposed provisions? Of course. Landlords will not be able to automatically increase rent in their tenancy agreements. They instead will have to use a Section 13 notice, and that will be able to be used yearly. And the landlord will be able to increase the rent to market rent. And the first tier property tribunal, for those not familiar, that sort of a type of court, will consider the market rent for that property if the rent is challenged, because tenants will be able to challenge it. So it might be an idea for landlords when considering their continued lettings to budget legal costs for challenges and dealing with rent increases in a way that they don't currently have to. An idea may be to give a fair market rent always and give evidence of that at the start of the tenancy. And as I understand it, Laura, there's nothing to prevent a tenant from being able to immediately challenge the rent. That's right. It's surprising to me that a tenant is going to be able to take a tenancy on the agreed rent and then immediately challenge it to the FTT. And another provision of the bill which has attracted a lot of media interest are the proposed new rules on pets. And these have been welcomed by many. Yes, it's going to be an implied term into all tenancies governed by this bill that a tenant can keep a pet with the landlord's consent and the landlord's not going to be able to unreasonably refuse consent. I think we're going to see some legal cases on this. I think this is because it's attracted such media interest. I think we're going to find out what the courts think about what type of pets and what's unreasonable consent. But just to note, there are provisions dealing with the situation where the landlord's head lease prevents having a pet. That's expressly set out in the bill. And there's also provision, isn't there, I think, in relation to a landlord being able to take out insurance to cover damage caused by pets. Yes. In reality, is that going to be enough to cover the damage, shortfalls and actually getting a payout? Who knows? But yes, the bill makes provisions for landlords getting the money back or obtaining pet insurance. 
In the government response of the 20th of October, they do also provide some additional guidance on what will be reasonable in terms of withholding consent to pets. And they raise issues such as allergies and a pet being too large for a particular flat. There are also two other provisions that I did just want to draw your listeners' attention to, and that's provisions regarding the ombudsman and the property database. These are new things in the private rental sector that we don't currently have, and they're quite exciting. An ombudsman will be put in place, and it's going to have new major powers to put things right for tenants, and it'll be really interesting to see what those powers look set to be when we get further detail. And the database also looks pretty good because it's going to get all of the information that a landlord needs and a tenant needs in one place, more certainty for both landlords and tenants. And once in force, landlords are going to need to comply because there are fines for non-compliance. And I think we're expecting a bit more detail on this. It's quite limited detail in the bill on both those provisions at the moment. One other thing I just wanted to mention, Laura, that seems to have slipped through the net um, on a lot of talk about this bill is there is going to be a penalty of up to £30,000 for unlawful eviction or harassment, which is a new concept as far as I'm aware. This will be the local authority fining a landlord for unlawfully evicting or harassing tenants. So we've been through what the bill does cover. I know, though, Laura, that you spoke on the white paper. Have you noticed any key differences to what was proposed at that stage? Yes. And missing from the bill are lifetime deposits, blanket bans on certain categories of people. Also, the court process was going to be sped up, but that hasn't happened. And council's enforcement provisions aren't quite as clear as they may have been. Decent home standards is also missing from the bill. But in the 20th of October document, the government are um, referencing again a desire for decent home standards. So it'll just be how and when that particular raft of legislation is able to be brought in. But the bill does deal with enforcement, doesn't it? And I'm aware that there could be prosecutions and fines. Absolutely. The bill is, as you say, littered with references to the enforcement. So it's not going to be that landlords are able to not comply with this. They're going to have to comply and there are going to be serious penalties for not. However, to counter that, of course, we have to consider the current pressure on local authorities, how this will actually be implemented and whether the tenants get any benefit by reporting these problems. So is it brought to the local authorities' attention? The big question I think that those listening will want us to answer is, when is all this going to happen? I would say, Laura, one way or another, we're getting a change to the letting sector. One way or another, we're going to get Section 21s scrapped and we're going to have a position where we're under an assured regime rather than assured short hold. I wish I could tell you the date that that will happen. But even if we get this through to Royal Ascent and get implementation, there is going to be a period of time after implementation, six months and then 12 months, for this to actually take effect on the ground. So those in the residential sector need not worry that there's going to be any immediate changes. And in that interim period, can you give us any practical tips for landlords thinking about what they might want to think about in the future? Absolutely. Now, I would say when we're looking for this bill to come in, 
The landlords really need to be thinking about what their tenancy agreements say. We really need to delve into some detail on that to get advice on making sure their tenancy agreements are compliant. Consider the tenants that you're having as a landlord into your property. You need to ensure those tenants are properly vetted so they can definitely pay their rent and not commit antisocial behaviour. So the landlords are in a more favourable position when it comes to keeping a longer term tenant. I think the thought process needs to change to longer-term relationships between landlords and tenants. Consider getting rent in advance. Consider budgeting for legal fees that aren't currently budgeted for. I would say landlords looking at remaining in the market after this bill is in place need to have a budget to deal with legal fees and deal with notices and evidence gathering that they may not currently do. So that needs to be factored into a business decision about renting out properties. And in regards to the market rent, that's what we're looking at. Perhaps give that evidence to the tenant, look at what the market rent is and give that evidence in advance to try and stave off any challenges to the market rent of the FTT. Laura, thank you for that really helpful guidance and also for talking us through the proposed reforms. I'm sure we're going to have a chance to revisit this again before any of this becomes law. Thank you so much for having me on, Laura. When changes come about to this bill, which they no doubt will, I'd be delighted to come and talk to your listeners again. We look forward to having you. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) 